Welcome to the Reboot Insiders Podcast. In today's episode, Jimmy talks with Leslie Poole, former assistant softball coach at Concordia University in Portland, and Mike McFerrin, pitching development coach at Hinger Brothers Baseball Academy. In this episode, the group breaks down improvements one of Mike's pitchers made over the last year. This conversation relies heavily on video, so we do recommend people watch online as well. With that said, please enjoy Jimmy's conversation with Leslie and Mike. My introductions will continue to get shorter and shorter since hopefully people know who I am from coming to these. But yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm Jimmy Buffy. Spent my undergrad doing mechanical and aerospace engineering, which ended up being super, super useful for pitching. PhD in biomechanics, five years building out the Dodgers entire pitching analysis department. Left the Dodgers about a year and a half ago to start Reboot Motion, and here we are, <laughs> doing webinars, trying to all learn and get better together. And I guess we have uh, Leslie and Mike here, two of my good friends, two awesome coaches, to do a more hands-on practical breakdown. And when you don't have motion capture, can you take a look at video? Can you get interesting things out of video? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I guess, Leslie, do you want to give an intro before we dive in? Sure. My name is Leslie Poole. I've been coaching for 17 years now, fast pitch softball and baseball, focusing on pitchers, also working with people that have injuries from just overhand throwing, outfielders, catchers, shortstops, you name it. My probably strongest interest is in helping athletes that have had a elbow or a shoulder injury come back, identifying what's going on, why they're having those problems and then how to fix it. I did consult for a few years at a physical therapy clinic where I was helping the physical therapists understand that stuff in terms of what caused the injury and what the athlete needs to do different. That's awesome. Thanks for joining Leslie. Thanks. Mike. Thanks Jim for having us, man. Mike McFerrin. I was the associate head coach at Skidmore college, a small D3 state, New York for about four years. And then the pitching coach for the Amsterdam Mohawks in the perfect game collegiate baseball league. And now I train athletes full-time in upstate New York, all pitchers. Yeah. Both good friends, both awesome coaches. We chat about this stuff a lot and I learn a lot when I chat with them and hopefully we will learn a lot today while we chat live. And yeah, I guess just to reiterate what we reiterate, what we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about when you called it bridging the gap. But we wanted to talk about, I spent a lot of time talking about physics, biomechanics. The previous few episodes were technical. Um, We went into motion capture. We went to biomechanical analyses. Now we really wanted to have two coaches on board to try and make this stuff a little bit more practical. And especially if you don't have motion capture, there are things that you can see in video and you can use definitely. And, And just talk through, we were thinking like, I can talk through a little bit what I'm seeing from the physics perspective. Leslie and Mike can talk about what they're seeing from a coaching perspective. We can talk through like how we mold those languages, how we communicate to the players. And we got some cool success stories and some cool videos we can look at where we might give a player some advice. So I think we can dive right in. And I guess we're going to start with Rooney, right? Yeah, I think we should start with Rooney. And I agree with everything you said. And I think if you can, I would consider myself a holistic teacher, as I think Leslie probably would too. And when you can come at things from different angles, data included, and you can learn from the data, then a lot of times you don't even need the data to accomplish what you're looking for if you know what you're looking for on video. And so a lot of these examples I think we're going to show are things that we've come to learn 
through your data and through your study that we can just apply without necessarily needing it. And hopefully we can shed some light on how we did that with some success stuff. So I'll screen my, or share my screen here. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with the, the old Rooney, right? Yeah. Well, and actually, uh, Mike, do you want to give, before we dive in, do you want to give a uh, quick background on who is John Rooney? And Sure. Yep. So John Rooney is, he was, he's in the, a left-hander in the Dodgers organization. He was drafted in 2018, his third round draft pick. So he's a high draft pick. And he came to me, we live in the same area. He came to me during the pandemic in the heat of it and wanted to stay in shape. He was starting to go backwards in his own words and started to look at his movements and it became very clear why he was having trouble moving. And it was because he doesn't internally process information very well. So it was an interesting project of trying to get guys to move well from a biomechanical standpoint, but also from a psychological standpoint. And that became a lot of fun. And, and basically to blow the ending here, he went from when I had it, 84 to 87, he was in a really bad place. And then he is now at spring training. He's been sitting 93, 95, touching 96. And he looks really good and um, a huge success story in the worst of times. So let's see if we can find the, the older one to take a look at. Anything you want to add on that, Jim? No, that's good. Yeah, I actually know. Yeah, John Rooney. I, I knew him at the Dodgers, but there are, the Dodgers have a ton of minor leaguers, ton of big leaguers. So I didn't actually get a chance to work with him directly at the Dodgers, which is ironic. But now that he worked with Mike, I was able to spend time one-on-one -on -one with him and Mike through this process. And it was a really cool process and really fun because John Rooney's awesome. And he was, he was able to take it and do stuff with it. Yeah, uh, this is so that you're showing us where Rooney started. Yeah, so this is right about when I got him, which was last June, maybe late June in 2020. Number one, if we take out that he's skinny as a rail and, and we did a lot of weight room work out of this, and when we just look at movements, we'll go through the assessment that I thought that he needed. And Jim and I, that you looked at and we coordinated on to see where he could move more efficiently and see if we can use his athleticism to his advantage, which I would say was probably his biggest thing in terms of timing and, and power were the two things that we're looking for. I guess I'll take him through and just see what we were looking at before about a year ago or a little less than a year ago and see where we thought he could get more efficient. And I think what you're going to see here is that he's super athletic and he's super, he's able to move. And those, so the, I'll take everyone through here real quick. And on that right there is the, one of the after photos that we'll go back to in a minute, but on our left, if we just look at what's happening from a whole perspective in terms of a movement, and the big thing that sticks out to me, and it was the thing that really ended up clicking him and what I wanted to do was he moves his body pretty well in terms of segmentation, but he doesn't time it well to unleash the energy that he's actually building. So if you look at his front foot, this was the big thing that really stuck out to me. And what I really want to do with athletes is take energy from the ground and transfer it up rotationally, eventually into the arm. And if you can do that in an accelerating fashion, he should throw the ball pretty hard and he can do it consistently. And the arm does a lot less work. So what was happening here was his foot was landing like heel down first. And if you'll notice what happens when his entire foot does eventually get down, he leaks all this trunk energy in that time. So all this rotational energy that I want to be grounded here, grounded meaning putting all the force into the ground from the backside forward. I want all that energy to come up. 
And if you catch all of this rotation from your trunk, from your pelvis first, I should say, then from your trunk, then from your shoulder. And if it's grounded, then everything is probably going to come through like a whip. And so what's happening here is because he lands with his heel, by the time he actually gets his foot down to where he can stabilize into the ground and use all that elastic rotational force, he's leaked all of it in that time frame. So that was the huge thing that we worked on. And there are a couple of other things with the arm and with timing from the backside and overall power. But I thought if we could shorten the stride a little bit and get him to land with an efficient foot plant, that the rest would start to happen on its own. And that's what happened. Yeah. So Jim, well, I don't know if you want to add it. Yeah. First, I don't know. Leslie, I was curious because I know you, I love some of the, like when you, some of the ways that you phrase some of this, it's awesome. So I was curious if you wanted to give some perspective on adding yeah. to what Mike said or other things that you're seeing here. Yeah, I would say like what we're talking about here is that until that toe gets down, he will not be strong enough to throw this ball hard. What's going to happen is he cannot stop his forward momentum. So his trunk is just going to keep moving, but he's not actually going to start pulling on anything, not with any kind of power, or any kind of speed. So when we ever look at this video on the right and he gets that toe down immediately, that's when we're going to see that chain reaction. Like we mentioned before the trebuchet, that's when there's going to be a reaction in that you'll see the energy kind of bounce through that front foot back up into the body. So he pushes off the first foot, then he pushes off the second foot and then it gets to the ball. But until that toe hits the ground, you can't do any of that. So you're just sliding through space. Yeah, that's awesome. And just to, like I said, I, I like to give these kind of like physics perspective. So we can, like I said, continue to, we talked about continuing to bridge the gap between the physics and the coaching. I, I think we've talked about this on other webinars. The way we view movement from a physics perspective, and Mike and Leslie both touched on this, is the body pushes on the ground, your feet push on the ground create ground reaction forces. And then those forces are the things that are adding energy and momentum to your body. But then the way that you continue, that you build up more and more momentum is you sequence the segments going from the ground to the torso, to the upper arm, to the hand, to the ball. And the reason is you want to accelerate the lower half as much as possible and build up as much momentum in the lower half as you can before transferring it to the torso. So the more time you spend accelerating that lower half before you unleash to the torso, the more momentum you can then add to the torso through that hip shoulder separation. So I think this is where hip shoulder separation comes in. And the way I often think about it is it's what it's doing is it's basically like giving you the pitcher more time, like literally more time to transfer momentum through that waist to torso connection. And yeah, like Mike said, when Rooney, when his foot is on the ground and he's really, you know, stepping on the gas, uh, figuratively and also literally, at this point, his torso has already like done most of its rotation. So there's no room to add extra momentum from the lower half to the torso. So this is, yeah, this is an, an, a thing that I think is pretty straightforward to see on video is where is, what kind of hip to torso separation are you creating? Are you leaving room between the foot hitting the ground and the torso accelerating to add that momentum. Another way to describe the position here is uh, something that me and some of the coaches that I've known for a long time with have all shared with each other is keeping the nose behind the belly button. So when he lands on the heel and that foot comes down so slow, that nose is all the way out already. And if whenever we look at the other one where he's getting his toe down fast, we're going to see that his nose is still behind his belly button when the toe hits the ground. So we that's just that's one. She always, you always have an awesome way to describe these things. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good. I'm bringing something to the table. 
but it's an easy way to, for a coach or um, an athlete, or even like a parent, if it's a younger kid to see on a video, like what their timing looks like, are, are things lined up right? Or is something going out of sequence? Yeah. Right. That's what, awesome. what I would add to that. So I, what I love about this is if you can apply the same ideas to any athlete. So there's no one way to skin a cat. There's no cookie cutter formula to every pitcher because every person and every pitcher is completely different. But if you look at things from a holistic or objective perspective, then what we want to do is create as efficiently as possible in a way for energy to transfer up through the body and create an elastic effect. So if you're going efficiently and elastically, and you're maxing out both of those things, you're going to throw the baseball pretty hard. And so if we look at this and basically what we're trying to do and to add on to what Jim said is via ground force, take all this acceleration from ground force and transfer it efficiently forward to put it back into the ground before any rotation happens from the pelvis trunk or shoulder. Then the rotation is going to happen in that order from pelvis trunk to shoulder and accelerate via torque all the way up through the baseball. But if you are not down into doing that, which is what he was doing here, and he was leaking all of his rotation before he was actually down, then none of that rotation is grounded and none of it actually gets up to the baseball and it doesn't accelerate in time. So what ends up happening is like the arm is going to have to catch up to itself and pull itself because you have to throw it to a certain location. And that's what ends up causing stress. That's what ends up making the arm pull itself forward. And you lose a lot of, of command that way. And you definitely lose a lot of velocity. I never asked this when we spoke the first time, but I, and you don't have to tell me because I know he's current, currently playing, but I almost wonder if he has ever had a, uh, pain in like his rotator cuff. And if not there, has he had trigger points, like real tight knots in his trap on his left arm? Yes. Because with the weight that far forward, your core is completely done. It's, it's, you're not going to get anything out of it. So you're going to end up like just launching the shoulder forward. Yes. And basically the arm is like pulling itself because nothing is pulling it. So in order for it to be on time, the arm has to pull itself through. Yeah. There was a point when he had an impingement and we actually fixed it pretty well and he didn't have those issues anymore, but it was also simultaneously while we were fixing a lot of these movements and it was an arm care thing. It was doing your Jager band routine the right way and activating your shoulder and, and like doing the tedious work that he learned the hard way. Hey, you got to do that every day. But yeah, he, it was, I would say it wasn't so much of something really serious, but it was something like, Hey, this is a warning sign. If you continue to throw like this, your shoulder is going to work overtime. So that's a good catch by you. And imagining how the core is what's actually pulling the arm through. I visualize like when you pull your towel off the towel bar and it kind of whips around the top. That's what I imagine, but it's pulling it through your core. And then the arm is the top of the towel kind of whips. That's yeah. great. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have such a way with words. Because <laughs> yeah, that is totally, that's the whole thing with the sequencing, right? Is you're not muscling up. I know coaches sometimes say like muscling up and you're not, you're not using your arm muscles to really to accelerate the baseball from like a biomechanics perspective the thing that's accelerating the baseball is like the lower half generating this momentum and the torso accelerating really quickly and it's like leslie said it's like whipping the arm through and then actually the arm muscles their primary job is like stopping the arm from flying off the body keep everything attached yeah exactly yeah so before we move on to the after my one i did want to talk about the the arm uh, uh yeah the elbow flexion, but I think we can save that for a few minutes and we can tackle these okay. things one at a time and going to make a quick pause there. Cause art as always asked an awesome question. Do you want higher frame rate video or is a higher frame rate camera cost prohibitive? Uh, uh, that's a great question. Yeah. Go for it. Either both of you. 
Go for it. So, so video is something like if you go through my camera roll, you're going to find thousands of videos. And what I found is that slow motion video doesn't help me. It doesn't help me all that often. Like I just use an iPhone and I use an iPad. I've done a lot of slow-mo work and it's actually sometimes too many frames. And so when I'm taking a guy through, I'm looking for certain frames and for him to fill those frames in his own certain way. And sometimes you can just get too much information. So I would say like the high frame rate stuff is amazing. If you're doing pitch design stuff and you're looking how the ball is spinning, that's happening way too fast for you to see with like a half decent iPhone camera. Like you need a really good camera for that. But if you're looking at movement, like and I, the iPhone cameras, like you have the best technology in your pocket all the time. And it's all I use. And everyone has one. And everyone can send stuff to each other just through the iPhone stuff. So I would say like anywhere between 30 and 60 frames per second is absolutely perfect. Yeah, I would agree. I prefer to see something in real time, at least before slow motion, because in slow motion, it's, I don't really know what this pitch looks like. So I want to see the whole thing once because I'll be able to see where if there's a hiccup, it'll stand out more at full speed than at slow speed. And sometimes it's actually nice to have lower quality video. Like in that last video, we could see like a blur, blur as his arms coming through. Sometimes you can use that blur to see where the slow spot is because all of a sudden it would be clear. And then that toe hits the ground and then blur, blur. And that's an easy way to explain to them, look, until your toe hits the ground, your arm's gonna be slow. So right. sometimes it's useful. And also, if, if the athlete can't fix the stuff that we see with our bare eyes, going further into detail isn't really called for at that point. So from a coaching perspective, sometimes you can only go so far where it's going to be useful. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. It's a great point on the slow motion, because if you ever watch a slow motion video, you have the option on your iPhone to make it full speed or slow-mo if you're shooting from slow-mo. And I can't remember how many frames per second slow-mo is off the top of my head. But if you, it's 240. So yeah. if you go on the 240 video and you try to play it full speed and you don't slow it down, it looks non-realistic. You can't get a real feel for how fast you're moving or how slow they're moving or something in real time. If you're going 60 frames per second, it's enough to break it down. But also, if you play it in full speed, you're going to get an accurate image for what the athlete's actually moving. Yeah, I prefer to get, uh, when I use my iPhone, I just prefer uh, full speed, and then I'll just pause it and scroll it. Yeah, great question, Art, as always. So before we go to the after. Mm -hmm. Can we go um, back to the original one? I was going to ask, what did you tell Rooney? Did you do, use drills? What did you, like, what were the <laughs> words that you were using? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that one of my strengths is being able to communicate something to someone in a way that cuts through all the weeds and just gets them to do it as quickly as possible. Going into working with him, I was expecting that to happen. And when he did that, you just watched him try to take the information. And it looked like this tornado of thoughts would go through his head. Like you could just see the gears trying to move and nothing was getting through and he couldn't internalize the information and externalize it subconsciously. So that was tricky for me. And it goes to show that it's not all just, hey, you got to look at the data and you got to look at how they're moving and just tell them to move a certain way. Just, you're dealing with a human being and you have to adjust to the person that you are teaching. It's not vice versa. There's an athlete does not adjust to you, adjust to them. And so that was a challenge for me. What I did tell him was that uh, in some of the cues that really worked were, number one, we have to get all the power from your lower half. So I teach pitching like a whip. And what I mean by that is when you crack a whip, you crack it from the bottom and the rest of it is connected. So it ends up just flowing effortlessly and loosely up and through. And if you set everything up to fall the right way, 
then things are going, or the, that energy is going to transfer most efficiently up into the arm. So that was one. And he loves to say, my arm is off at all times. Like it's just getting pulled through at the end. He's just setting it up to get pulled through. So that was one thing. And the second thing, and you're going to see this work really well in a minute was we had to get his foot to, instead of, and I'll draw a little diagram, instead of like landing like this, where his heel was up and then he would like subsequently put his toe down after that, I had to get him to land like this and match the slope of the mound so that we caught all that momentum before his trunk or pelvis or shoulder had any rotation. So in order for me to do that, we played around with a couple different cues. He was just landing toes first and it started to work, but then he started to go like toes first all the time. And then you're throwing on flat ground and it can get, you know, mixed up and jumbled up And the phrase that just clicked it for him. And we, we joke about this all the time is just catch it quicker. So if you think about it this way, like the back leg is taking ground force and driving it this way. And you're going to transfer it into your front leg. So it's essentially like you're catching all of that ground force from the backside and transferring it into the ground again with your front leg. So instead of thinking, okay, we got to shorten up. Hey, you got to be, you have to do something with your body. We spoke about it in terms of timing. And so the phrase catch it quicker caught on really quickly for him. And that's just what stuck. I love it, man. That is such, that's awesome. I love it. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's really good. Yep. And then a bunch of stuff with the arm, which Jim wants to talk about, and I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. Um, Let's, let's, I'm dying to see the after. So let's let's see the after first. (laughs) It's a, it's a, I I love it because it's just, it's a work of art. It really is, man. It's, it's just a, a finished painting and it's a really beautiful thing. You can see that so much earlier in the pitch. He's ready for it. He knows where he's going to put that foot. Yeah, look, look how much the, separation he has with that foot on the ground now. The yeah. foot plant is just an absolute thing of beauty. It's It matches the slope absolutely perfectly. And you can see, and here's a really interesting thing, the, the hip is fully internally rotated and he is down. But, and this is the key, his pelvis, his trunk, his shoulder have not gone anywhere and his arm is just ready to go. His nose and is it's not- an, yeah, it's there, it is. there it is. You want to say it again, Leslie? His nose is behind his belly button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yep. It's a thing of beauty. So to this point, like we can think of the motion in terms of process and results. And I think this was part of the magic because for us to do this in the amount of time that we did it is something really special. It, it happened really fast. He went from like mid eighties to mid nineties in six months, which is insane. And for us to do that most efficiently, we had to break things down into movements that happened as a result of other movements that if you perform those movements, they were going to cause other movements and it creates a much easier way to think about the entire motion. Instead of thinking about eight, nine things I got to do, if four or five of those things happen as a result of two or three or four of those things, then we're just going to think about those two or three or four things. I love to call it focal efficiency you're just focusing on something that's so much easier to digest and perform over and over again. So if we get to this point in the motion, his work is done. Like all he has to do is basically unwind from the pelvis up. And that's what you're going to see happen here. And, and it I, happens so fast. That, I bet he never said his arm was off before. He once, once we started, no, cause his arm would have to catch up. And he was basically just thinking, I have to pull my arm through to this point. I've heard from so many pitchers that when they, they, the timing is right, the foot's down, they have separation, the torso rotates first, the upper arm follows, it does literally feel easy. Like there's a phrase that people use that I've heard coaches use 
I think that was a really cool phrase. I'm not sure how actionable it is, but how easy can you throw hard? Yeah. It's like something that they would say, coaches, I've heard coaches say a lot. Every single guy that I work with that clicks things and does it from a hole, I don't think easy is a good enough word. I think effortless is a better word. Like they feel like they're doing nothing. And maybe it's relative because they're used to using their arms and they're using their legs more. So it's not truly effortless. But in terms of stress and in terms of pain, in terms of it feeling like they're not doing much, like their body is doing the, the work for them, it, effortless is always the very first word that comes to mind for these guys. Absolutely. I always say it should look effortless, but it should also look like you're working very hard. I compare it to like watching a sprinter or watching an Olympic weightlifter. It should almost be like a dance. Yeah. So here's the, and to make one more point on this, here's what some of the magic is with this front foot and, and how this worked is imagine if his foot was up here, like it was before. Okay. So take all these things like, yeah, he's moving more powerfully. His rotation is much better. Like his arm is set up, his glove arm matches the shoulder plane, like all that good stuff. But if his foot's not down in this time, let's say it was that one more frame to where his foot would go down. Look what would happen. He'd lose all of it. Yeah. So what happens is, he transfers everything forward here, but because his foot is down in time, then he catches all of this rotation and throws it into the ground. And then it comes back into his body. So he's actually accelerating the rotation because his foot is just down in time to actually catch it. Yeah. And, and what I really like about this is for me personally, as the science person, never knowing like how to actually make these things happen in real life. <laughs> Sometimes you see these people that these pitchers that, aren't able to separate between their hips and their shoulders. And I'm like, I don't know how to create more hip shoulder separation, <laughs> but the way that you did it here is awesome. And so it was literally like catch, what, what was the phrase that you used? Catch it sooner? Catch it quicker. Yeah, that's what works. And, yeah. and I'll go into more it, or specify, I would say is that he, we didn't have to create hip shoulder separation. He already moved his hips, his trunk and his shoulders separately. He just didn't time it correctly. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it was more about the timing of it than actually like trying to force something to happen that was already happening. Yeah, that's a really good point. You can see when his right leg catches it and it's almost like from his foot up to the ball, it's a, it's like watching somebody use a crowbar and the right foot is a fulcrum. You can see how he just, I don't know, everything just turns on in a big line. Yeah, yeah. well, that's a great, yeah, that's a great observation. So as someone who loves providing the physics perspective, literally what's going on there is so that that right leg that foot is in the ground he's pushing on the ground and then the right upper leg the right femur the ball of that femur is pushing into that pelvis and it's creating torque around his center of mass that is whipping everything forward and in physics like we love perpendicular like 90 degree angles because that's the angle at which you can create the most torque for the force that you're applying yeah. Mm. The, the reason that front foot, I don't know if this is useful to anybody, but the reason that front foot has to work so hard or that right leg has to work so hard to keep the hips back and to create that torque. It's if you have a cup of coffee on your, on the roof of your car and you hit the brakes real slow, the cup won't go anywhere. But if you slam on the brakes, the cup will go flying. So we want the top half to go flying. We got to slam on the brakes with the right leg. Right. Thank you for listening to the Reboot Insiders podcast. Be on the lookout for future episodes, and as always, feel free to reach out at insiders at rebootmotion.com or on Twitter at rebootmotion.